With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. try again. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is 7 o'clock on Thursday. Your New York Rangers are moments away from taking on the Islanders in a game that has unbelievable, I guess, impact, but not in the way that we thought it was going to because it's not playoff impact. Anyway, I'm Joe Fortunato. I am your host, and I am joined by patron and good friend of the website slash podcast, Eric Cohn, who is jumping in for Tom and Beth and the very, very, very ill um, Mike, who has like 16 different types of infection in his body right now. Eric, how are you doing? I'm definitely doing better than Mike. You are absolutely doing better than Mike. That is, I think a lot of people, if you got like, I'm not, I don't want to say fully run over, but like bumped by a bus, I would still think you're doing better than Mike. Maybe fully run over. I actually don't know. Mike is, uh, he's got like an ear infection and a sinus infection. Yeah, it's awful. So stay away from buses and, you know, other things that can make you ill. Um, I don't know what's actually happening, but I've turned to see if the Ranger game started and Joe Micheletti and Sam Rosen are speaking while eating food at like a a restaurant. I don't, I don't know what this is. It must be some type of a Brooklyn restaurant, but um, relatively fitting, actually, for the fact that the Rangers and Islanders are playing in a game that has implications towards the draft lottery that will be occurring in a couple of weeks actually a couple of months. Um, I know this isn't exactly what we expected. We've had quite a few conversations at least the past few weeks about how important winning and losing is. Eric and I just went through before the show started a bunch of, uh, I guess, projections and possibilities of what's going to happen with the draft. And we'll run through those here as well. But um, Eric, I do want to ask, just as an outside perspective, because I know we've all discussed it on our end, but how surprised are you to see this type of, I guess, game for both of these teams right now? Did you really expect the Rangers to be here? At the beginning of the season, um, I thought there was a decent possibility. Uh, looking at the roster coming into the, coming into the year, yeah, I thought there's a way that they can thread the needle. There's a way that they can be kind of the, a good team that would have a legitimate chance. I don't think as a cup contender, but as a, you know, kind of the good playoff team that if they got really hot at the right time and Hank played out of his mind, they could make a run. Uh, so I'm not all that shocked that we're actually here. And that's, that's given to all the explanations we've talked about from player deployment, from the roster decisions, from Elaine Vino's coaching decisions. What's surprising to me is more of kind of the recent history of it, or at least maybe if not surprising, almost hilarious. Because at the time that the Rangers, uh, Jeff Gordon and Sather come out and announce that basically uh, the season hasn't gone how we liked, we're going to make a lot of changes. But the Islanders were within a couple points of the Rangers at that time. And the Islanders um, bought at the deadline, and man, uh, every time I think that the, the Rangers, you know, leadership, and I wonder, hey, what are they doing? I look over at the Islanders and go, oh, okay, it's not that bad. It's actually an unbelievable point that you bring up when you talk about the Islanders because I, I don't think enough gets uh, enough 
press has been given to the fact that the Rangers and the Islanders made a decision to go in two completely different directions. And like you said, they both had, and I remember the actual point total, when the Rangers made the decision to sell and they released the letter, they had 55 points. The Islanders also had 55 points. So you have two teams that are theoretically at the same spot in the standings. Both of them were within striking distance of the playoffs. The Rangers may have been in, in like the final wild card spot. I don't remember, but they were damn close. And the Rangers made the realization that, you know what, we're not good enough. We're not gonna we're not gonna try to go for it again. We need to start rebuilding. And they moved an incredible amount of assets and they brought back an incredible amount of assets and sort of restocked their farm system, if you will. And the Islanders looked at it and said, Well, you know what? We have John Tavares who is unsigned. Um we need to make a run at the playoffs. They they weren't all-in buyers the way that the Rangers had been in the past, but I think they traded a third-round pick for somebody, and you know uh, they didn't just sit on their hands. And now they're coming to the end. They're not making the playoffs. The Rangers and the Islanders are actually fighting over who's going to pick better in the draft in June. And it's just amazing to think about where these two teams were two months ago and where they are now, you look at the Rangers' failures, and it's obviously acceptable because the Rangers sold. They sold McDonough. They sold Girardi. They sold Grabner. I'm not going to throw Nick Holden in there as um, one of the key factors, but JT Miller certainly was. The Islanders didn't do any of that. So that's a, it's a great point to bring up, and, and it is interesting that we're here. I mean, the Rangers, listen, they've had some some trouble. I think Vigneault is definitely somebody that causes quite a bit of angst along the fan base, but uh, – we haven't had any billboards up to get somebody fired. So I guess that's a benefit. Um, or maybe Rangers fans just aren't motivated as Islanders fans are. I don't know. But I, I don't know how you look at the body of work Garth Snow has put together and think to yourself, man, I got to keep that guy. That guy, we need him in this position right now. I just, I don't know. But I say that. I also have no idea how the Rangers look at Vigneault and don't think, wow, we need to get somebody else in there. So so who am I? Eric, you sounded like you wanted to say something. Well, let's- Let's come back to Vigneault, but just underscore this one more time. Right now, the Rangers sit at 77 points, and the Islanders sit at 76, with basically the same team that they looked at, um, what, 20 points ago, and said, yeah, this is the team we're going forward with. Um, it, it really is just incredible. And I can, I can understand it to a certain extent, because you mentioned John Tavares, and you know, since he's unsigned and there's plenty of speculation and reasonable belief that John Tavares is not coming back to the Islanders. And arguably it's a weird catch 22 situation because, you know, they figure, okay, we'll try to make one run at it because this might be the last time that we have Tavares, but also in not deciding to hey, let's try to do the same kind of quick rebuild that I think the Rangers are trying to do. Let's move assets for what we can get. Let's try to improve our draft position, stockpile draft picks, and try to improve the team in the near term and give Tavares a reason to want to resign on the island. And it's probably going to convince him, possibly convince him, to go elsewhere because he can look at the team and see, man, there's – there's not a lot of foresight here. There's not a lot of leadership. And do I want to stick around and endure what will probably be that kind of continued mediocrity? Or do I want to go someplace that's going to provide me a better chance to win? It, Elliot Friedman, I think, um, had a note in his 30 thoughts, or maybe it was just one of his stories or um, one of his many, many little clips that he produces, but discussed how, Tavares wasn't thrilled with the way that the Islanders were moving forward, that they had expectations. He had expectations of the Islanders doing more at the deadline. And his Elliot Friedman's response was that Garneau probably looked at it and said, Tavares, like, we don't know if you're staying or not. So we need those two first round draft picks, the Islanders of their own in Calgary's. And that may end up playing an enormous role because as I continue to do the draft simulation, the Islanders have two opportunities to jump up into the top three with their own pick in Calgary's. Um, but, you know, the Islanders are sitting there and I will say that the Islanders definitely did not handle this the right way. They, they, to be in this situation right now is not good asset management, but once the Islanders were here, 
I agree with Garth Snow in that, like, all right, I've already screwed up everything. I can't screw up another thing and move these very valuable assets that may help us rebuild for the future and have Tavares leave anyway. It's not, it, it certainly would not work. And I do understand where they're going. And if you're wondering why we're spending this much time talking about Tavares and the Islanders, well, there does seem to be this ideology that the Rangers have a possibility of signing Tavares. Um, There's been some speculation about it. I think Larry Brooks wrote an article today. One of our patrons, uh, John Lowe, actually wanted to know. He had written something on his own that he asked me to look at. He was discussing the possibility of even bringing Tavares in and, and what the lineup would look like and what the chances are. And I mean, let's, let's start with this. Um, I, I don't see Tavares fixing any of the Rangers problems as much as he's an elite player, as much as he's an elite center, you, you sign Tavares to what's expected to be an enormous contract. Right? We're talking eight years, $9 million at least, and it will probably be more than that. Um, you're moving him into the one C role. It automatically puts the bandage into the two C role, which is fine. It's a great one, two punch. The problem comes from Hayes, Nemestikov, Spinner, Anderson, and Hedl. The Rangers drafted two centers last year in Anderson and Hedl. And as much as everybody wants to put these guys to the wing, it really doesn't do anything for the Rangers to hurt their own development by moving a guy off the, off to the wing. You, you want to keep them developing a center as much as possible. Um, the Elaine Mignot question hangs over this uh, like a cloud over a parade because if he's back next year, it doesn't matter anyway. But if Anderson and Heedle are going to stay in this lineup next year, you're expecting them to do so, A, at their position of center, but B, with top nine minutes at the very least because what's the point of playing them on the fourth line? And there's not enough roster spots for everybody for that type of a situation to come to fruition. So as much as Tavares coming in is great, I don't know what it solves. It doesn't make the Rangers instant playoff contenders. Um, you know, if you get to, if you win the draft lottery and, and you have Dolan and that changes the entire landscape of your defense does adding John Tavares with everything that you have make the Rangers a playoff team probably yes it does because you have two players now who kind of revolutionize what the team looks like but I I don't know the odds of that and I don't know if Tavares would even want to come to the the Rangers anyway I I guess the sell is that you don't have to move you're still in New York you're just on the better side of New York you're not playing in the Barclays you have a team that's committed to well, maybe not rebuild anymore, but kind of go for it the right way. And I mean, I don't know, Eric, there's a lot to, lot to think about here. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agreed that it's complicated. It, it all depends on what, what does John Tavares want? Does he want to go to a place where he can be the guy, like the one and only guy? Um, if so, there's definitely opportunities like that for him out there. I think a fascinating opportunity could be if he decides to go to Vegas. Um, there's, you know, everybody, of course, is surprised by what Vegas has done this year, and we don't know how much of it is just kind of a, a paper tiger, and we'll see how they end up doing in the playoffs. But there is no legitimate superstar out in Vegas. Uh, he could be the guy if that is what he wants. If he wants to play... Um, if he wants to win a cup in the very near term, then, you know, there's rumors that like, you know, Tampa, it, oh dear God, if Tampa added John Tavares, that'd be insane. But Tampa might be interested in him. He can go to one of those teams that is already pretty stacked if they can make the cap space work and, you know, try to fit in there and have the opportunity of like, hey, I'm going to win a Stanley Cup and then I'm going to let the chips for the rest of this time fall where they may, as long as I get to hoist the Stanley Cup in the near term. Or he could go to a place where he's kind of a, you know, one of the few big guys in the room. And that's the kind of situation that he would be with the Rangers, right? Because as long as Hank is still playing, Hank is the face of the Rangers. But, you know, Hank and John Tavares, I mean, that's, you know, you, that's your basic one-two superstars of the team. Um, there's an attraction in wanting to add someone like John Tavares, at least from a kind of selfish point of view just because I'm I've been a fan of the Rangers long enough that I always remember the Rangers adding those kind of big name players on their decline and not in the prime of their career and for once I think it would just feel 
all warm and fuzzy inside if we could add a player like that at the right time rather than the, oh, let's sign Bobby Holik and watch him be terrible for a couple of seasons uh, as we miss the playoffs. Um, so that has some attraction to me just for that selfish reason. But I, I think it's undisputable that he would make the Rangers a better team. Yes, you have to fix the defense, but you've got – you have so many options right now between the draft picks, between the RFAs that they have to decide what they're going to do with. There's so many options that if you have an opportunity to add a superstar 1C, I think you have to at least explore that option. Yeah, and that becomes sort of the question. We've had, I think, a first-row seat at realizing that you really do need an elite player to win the Stanley Cup. And that's not a shot at Lundqvist, who I think is an elite player, but I think the goalie can't be the elite player because I was run through. You need an elite non-goaltender, yeah. Right, you need an elite non-goaltender. And really, if you're going to have an elite defenseman, it can't be just like an elite shutdown defenseman. It needs to be somebody like a headman who can put up points as well and – I think one of the reasons why this is so difficult for the Rangers just to stomach is the fact that there have been so many lost years with Henrik Lundqvist just putting up unbelievable stats in the playoffs that all these crab people love to just ignore when they discuss Lundqvist or whatever it is. Um, Tom put up the Rangers, the, the stats of Lundqvist in the playoffs and I mean, we're talking about from not including the first season that he was in the league when the Rangers got swept by the Devils. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven playoff seasons. He was below a two point three goals against average in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them. And then he was a two four or excuse me, a Four three nine against the Penguins, which was again a disaster. Um, a three early in his career, and then a two five seven again early in his career. I mean, when the Rangers went to the Stanley Cup, he had a two eleven goals against average. Excuse me, I'm sorry, he had a two fourteen goals against average. The year after against Tampa, when they lost to Tampa, he had a two eleven goals against average. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has put up elite level statistics across the board. Even last year, when people are talking about how terrible he was, he had a 927 save percentage. His playoff career average in 128 games is a 922 save percentage and a 228 goals against average. That is not the problem. The, the problem is the Rangers didn't have enough firepower up front to just deal with it. They didn't have enough to, to just move forward. I mean, the final... The year that the Rangers went to the Eastern Conference Final against New Jersey, the second-to-last year of Tortorella's tenure, in the 20 playoff games the Rangers played, Lundqvist was a 182 goals against average, 931 save percentage. That is not the guy who's the issue. So you can't have – your goalie just can't be the guy. And Tavares would be an elite player. You need an elite player to win the Stanley Cup. So does that help? Maybe. I think Tavares does make them quite a bit better. I don't know if Tavares makes them a playoff team. It really depends on what the defense looks like. But the Rangers gave up a lot, rightfully so, in their, their trade-off, in their sell-off. They, they removed McDonough. They removed, I mean, again, Holden doesn't really matter, but Miller, Nash, and Grabner, even if those guys were leaving anyway, that's a lot of offense to walk out the door. And I'm not saying Tavares would replace all of it, but I do think that Tavares would make a pretty big difference. And you're right. You have to at least explore it. You need to look at it because you don't know what things are going to be like until you actually get there. And we have no idea how the draft is going to play out either. Kevin Hayes just scored. So in the actual hockey game, so the Rangers are leading one, nothing. But before we got to this, we were discussing the fact that right now the Rangers sit in 10th place and I'm using the terminologies of from the bottom. So if they were in first place, they're in first place in the draft lottery, not 10th place overall. Um, that's what we mean. So the Rangers are in the 10th overall pick right now. They have 77 points. They played 80 games. Chicago, the Islanders, both have 76 points at 80 games. And Edmonton is 74 points at 80 games. If Chicago, the Islanders, and Edmonton win out, then the Rangers lose out. And one of these games right now, remember, is the Rangers playing the Islanders as we speak. The Rangers could theoretically fall into eighth place. 
If that, or excuse me, seventh place. If that doesn't happen, the Rangers will likely end up at tenth place. They're not going to catch Carolina. Um, yeah, they're not going to catch Carolina. So we're looking at the difference between. It's not a huge percentage. If the Rangers stay in tenth place, they have a three and a half percent chance of going to the first overall pick. Three and point eight percent chance of going to second. Four point one percent chance of going to third. You cannot fall outside of the top three any lower than whatever your draft selection is. So if the Rangers are 10th, they have those odds to fall one, two, three. They cannot fall four to nine. They have a 60% chance to stay at 10th, 25% chance to go to 11th, 2% chance to go to 12th. They can't fall, it looks like, below 12th. So you are talking about a relatively big difference because the difference between where the Rangers are now and if they jumped up to 7th place, say, would be really six and a half to eight percent of jumping into the top three. And it's not an enormous difference. It's still not good odds, but we've seen crazier things happen. When the, uh, the Flyers moved up to second overall, I think the Devils moved up to first overall, both of those teams made enormous jumps. So it is possible. And you are talking about a franchise changing defenseman. Um, but we were talking about this a little bit before, Eric. It's just, do, do you think the Rangers have, handled this post sell-off well in terms of the games that they happen to have been winning? I, I mean, I don't know what else they could have done. I mean, it, there's just a fundamental difference between hockey and say basketball where, you know, tanking in basketball is, that's a fit. You really can do that. I don't know how you call up all these kids though in a, a sport like hockey and say, all right, go out there, but lose. I mean, obviously they're not objectively going out and trying to lose, but I mean, they're, they're doing what they can. And the outcome has been probably about what I would expect. I mean, they've won some games because they have some talent that they're actually deploying. Now they're getting the kids out there and they're letting the kids play. Um, so it, it's gone about, you know, what I would expect, you know, of course, would it be better for their draft position if they were to lose every one of those games? Of course, but there's no way to completely ensure that I've never considered it a serious possibility that they're getting the first overall pick and Darlene is going to be a Ranger. Hey, if it happens, that's phenomenal. I will be the first person to leap for joy if they end up with the first overall pick but I never considered it a serious possibility. And so now it's the the question of, you know, they're going to have three picks in the first round. And what do they want to do with that? Do they want to take a swing at three different players, first round talent, try to bring that into the team? Do they want to consider moving some of those picks and perhaps one of the RFAs to try to move up to a higher pick in the draft? Is it worth doing that? You know, if you can't get into really one of those top three players, is it even really worth doing that? Um, they have, again, they have a lot of options out there. I want to come back real quick to the, to the John Tavares question again, because I think that this also does matter for what they're going to do with a lot of the assets that they have on board. Um, I think you're absolutely right about the adding him does not instantaneously make the Rangers a Stanley Cup contender. But let's talk for a quick second about the teams that have won the Cup since the lockout. Um, obviously, I, I will take second chair to nobody in my unadulterated love of Henrik Lundqvist. And he's been, you know, I was a big Mike Richter guy uh, when I started watching the Rangers. And I never thought I would love another Ranger goaltender as much as I loved Mike Richter. And then Hank comes along. But you, you are telling it's my life great story to have now, Hank. I have literally oh, described brother. myself as that, that I knew I see I knew we were going to get along for some reason I was not to interrupt you but I was the kid that was Mike Richter and we would play street hockey that was I played goalie because of Mike Richter same here and I never ever thought that I would like a goalie or love a goalie more than Richter and I really thought that would last because I was a kid when I fell in love with hockey and Mike Richter so there, there's like that childhood innocence around Mike Richter that was never tainted by like my adult understanding of the Rangers as an organization and Lundquist blew it out of the water. I don't even think about Mike Richter really anymore, except for like, you know, when you see him and listen, he was a great goalie and and whatever. I think Henrik Lundquist is maybe more important to this organization, even without the cup, just because of the the dark ages that he pulled the team from. But I just want to say, I literally described myself as that too, just 
didn't think I would ever get over Richter, and Hank made it easy. And here we are. And here we are. So look at the teams that have won the Cup since the lockout, the 0405 lockout, uh, and the goaltenders that they had on those teams. Um, Carolina in 06 with Cam Ward, the Ducks in 07 with J.S. Jaguar, the Red Wings with Chris Osgood, the Penguins with Flurry, the Blackhawks with Antti Niemi, the Bruins with Tim Thomas, the Kings with Jonathan Quick, the Blackhawks with Crawford, the Kings again with Quick, the Blackhawks again with Crawford, and then the Penguins twice with Matt Murray. There are some very good goaltenders in there, but there's not one elite-level goaltender. And I love Hank, but the necessity for an elite goaltender to win a Stanley Cup, it's not a necessity, it's a luxury. You still need to build the rest of the team with that kind, with an elite offensive threat. And if you look again at the, you know, the, the, um, the Conn Smythe winners that weren't goaltenders are elite offensive players. Scott Niedermeyer, Zetterberg, Malkin, Taves, Patrick Kane. Uh, Williams, of course, was you know, crazy when, during that playoff. And it's Sidney Crosby twice. You're... I think you need that kind of elite level player. And the, the Rangers, when was the last time that they had a, other than Hank, a truly elite level player on the team in the prime of their career? And man, I got to rack my brain to think of it. And it's probably has to be Brian Leach. It, it, it probably, it would, well, it would be Leach and, and really Messier and that kind of, you know, that kind of run through 94 and even beyond. I, I will say the exception, and who knows what the prime of his career is because the man was an animal. But I really, if you said to me, who was the last true superstar that the Rangers had, it's Yarmir Yager. Yager. I mean, no question, it's Yager. Now, he was, what, 33 when he was with the Rangers? So we're not, but I, the guy played until he was 40, 40, what? What is he, 44 right now, this season, whatever it was? That, maybe that's the weird exception, right? He's, that's, that's, that is the, he's the one guy who's the prime of his career. He's the guy who's the prime of his career managed to stretch over like the course of most players' total career. I mean, it's right, just, that's normal, a weird exception to the rule. They're normal careers. So I, I, would, I would say Yager was really the last true superstar that the Rangers had. And where I agree with you, and, and I think the only exception to the not elite goalie would be Osgood, but if I'm not mistaken, it was really at the end of Osgood's career. It was, it was probably akin to where Hank is now than, than, you know, when he was really um, at maybe the forefront of his career, but it's not a knock on Lundqvist. And it's certainly not this, this Hank truther as I'm referring to them. Oh, the Rangers would have been so much better off if they didn't sign Lundqvist to that contract, because you would have nothing. I mean, nothing. Yeah. If you didn't have Lundqvist, but what I look at is the Rangers don't have, that superstar to get them over the hump. Rick Nash was supposed to be the guy. I love Rick Nash. I will defend Rick Nash until the death. He was not a superstar. Um, Marion Gabrick was supposed to be that guy. He was, Gabrick was criminally underrated on Broadway, but I don't think Gabrick, like Gabrick is like the one sniper in history who scored, but that was really all he did. And it wasn't enough to, to put him into superstar status, as weird as that may sound. I think the Rangers have a lot of really good players. Um, I think the Rangers sort of built this team and this, this group as when they went to the Stanley Cup, this, this golden age that really only lasted two years, very good players. Tier, call them you know, quadruple-A players if you want, sort of that MLB reference of a guy who's too good for triple-A but not good enough for the big show. I mean, when the Rangers got St. Louis, he was not a superstar anymore, but he was certainly a very good player. Same goes for Brad Richards, for Rick Nash. Even at that point in his career, you're talking about very, very good hockey players. But no Crosby, no Malkin, no Kane. And it does, I'm writing a story for the banter now about the new landscape of hockey and and how you need to get younger and you need to focus on the draft and, and you need to find, you can't really dip into free agency, ironically enough. Um, that we're talking about John Tavares all that often. And I ran through all of the Stanley Cup winners post-lockout. And like you said, it's Kane, it's Crosby, it's Bergeron, it's Kopitar. I mean, general superstars in the league that have won Stanley Cups with these teams. You need one. You'd love to have two, but you need one. 
and the Rangers don't have any, and especially right now they don't have any. So does adding one in Tavares change the landscape? It probably does. But outside of Hedo, I don't think the Rangers have a superstar potential in their system. Um, I mean, you can say what you want about Brett Howden. I, I'm, I'm going to say that Howden is going to be more of a, a top-line player is probably too high of a ceiling for him. I think at best he's a second-line guy, which isn't a bad thing. It's not a knock on him either. Um, Lieber Hayek, I mean, I guess he could be a McDonough. And that, again, nothing – we're not saying anything negative about that. But what I think you're you're not getting those really high end players and Heedle even Heedle's not on the level of like a Crosby or a Malkin. Heedle's on the level of like a Claude Giroux if everything goes right. So that's why I put so much emphasis just to circle it back to the whole intentional losing. I agree with you. There's really no way to lose intentionally. It's not like basketball where you can just it's there's five guys you can put in two kids and very easily change the entire outcome of a game. What I think the Rangers could have done a better job of is bringing up a guy like let's like Letary, bringing up a guy like Bunieves and force feeding bigger minutes to these kids to kind of help them develop. Um, not even just Heedle and, and Anderson when they came up, but just in general, I think the Rangers did a lot of that. I think Vigneault, even now, is trying to win as many hockey games as he can for better or for worse. So you'd think that that would work in the Rangers' favor, but um, yeah, it definitely, it, it has not. So I, I fully agree with you. I think the way the draft plays out too, because like I said, if the Rangers land the top three pick, you know, even if it's not, if it's not Dolan, you could make a, 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 I guess you can make the, argument in your own head oh we're a couple of years away because there is elite talent i think there's elite talent through the first seven or eight names on this board and i don't consider brady to chuck uh elite talent i think he's one of the one of the kind of landmines in the first round so my sights are set on oliver i'm gonna i think i'm gonna butcher his name wallstrom I'm going to say he's going to Harvard next year. He's a, a legit sniper out of the United States developmental program. Um, I think he's going to fall in that eight to 10 range. And he's the guy that I'm looking at right now. Listen, I would love a guy like Adam Bachquist who has similar numbers to what Carlson put up in the junior leagues in Sweden. Quentin Hughes has done unbelievable things for Michigan as a defenseman this year. There are plenty of players that the Rangers could certainly use that could theoretically fall to them. But I don't know if those guys are going to fall 10. There's really eight names that I would love to see the Rangers get, and I'm not sure they're going to be around later. So, but like you said, it's impossible to, t- to intentionally lose. You can't go out there and tell the, the team, hey, you need to go lose this hockey game. And what makes it even more difficult for the Rangers, they have probably 70% of their team playing for a contract this year or next year. How do you tell Spooner, or Nemestikov, or Hayes, hey, tone it down a little bit when they're literally playing for their paycheck next year. I mean, it's not possible. This is just, this is the reality of of the situation that the Rangers are in. So I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see, I, I don't see how you do it, but I do think there is a fine line between wanting the team to lose and expecting them to intentionally tank I think we've all been rooting for the Rangers to lose. I think we understand, like you said, Eric, the fundamentals of losing and how important it is to lose. But you can't do it on purpose per se. I mean, there's ways to do it, but you can't intentionally go out there and do it. Now, you brought up something that I want to talk about, which is what the Rangers are going to do with their first round picks. They have three of them. Jeff Gordon's made a couple of jokes that last year when the Rangers had two first round picks, their phone rang a lot. They didn't make any moves. But we know Calgary is in the market for a first-round pick this year. We know that the Rangers, uh, you spoke about potentially moving up. I don't know if there's value in the team moving up unless they can get a top-five pick. Um, I think you'd almost rather have the three cracks at the bat than two because you're trading picks to get into that top-five. But the one thing that you and I have not spoken about yet is the Matt Zuccarello situation, which is the Rangers very well may trade Zuccarello at the draft. And I would assume he could probably bring back a first round pick depending on who the team is. So Eric, what is your, what are your thoughts on a moving up in the draft and B what you think the Rangers are going to do with Zuccarello at the draft? 
Zuccarello is such an odd situation to me because one of two things is basically going to happen, right? Either they're going to trade him or he's the next captain in my mind, um, which is a weird Fair. place to be in that the, the guy who seems to be your heir apparent to be your captain is like, yeah, but we also may trade him. So who knows? Um, at this point, given what you said, and let's just add the caveat of, you know, we can look at those first, those, we consider those top eight talented players in the draft that if like we were drafting for all the teams one through eight, we would pick those guys. But I think it's inevitable that one of those guys is probably going to fall because there's always some team out there that you're thinking like, well, here's the obvious choice. And then, Oh wait, who, what did they pick? What did they do? It happens seemingly every year. So I think there's a reasonable chance that someone in that top eight talent list could fall. You wait and see what happens. But between the massive load of draft picks that they have this year, the RFAs that they have, uh, Zuccarello on the roster, the possibility of signing John Tavares out there, I think going into the draft, Gorton basically just takes the perspective of he makes it known of, hey, we have a lot of assets. Some of them are going to have to move. Uh, give me a call and tell me what you'll give me for them. And you wait to see if you get absolutely bowled over because you, you don't have to be forced into making any particular move. If you're Jeff Gordon, you can do exactly what you said. You can take the three swings at the first round. You can consider, you know, waiting to see if you get a good enough offer to, you know, move up into the top five. It could possibly happen. You wait to see what people would uh, entertain giving you for Zuccarello. You don't know exactly what that return would be. You've got so many options available to you if you're Gordon. It's just a fascinating uh, place for the team to be in. But it, all things being equal, I guess I would say I would, you know, I lean towards having as many, taking as many picks as they can, because I think you're right. The likelihood of being able to move up high enough for it to be valuable is, seems unlikely to me. But, hey, you never know what will happen. You never know what teams are going to decide at the last minute that they're going to be desperate and that they really want, uh, you know, they really want Zuccarello or they want to put together a package for, you know, Spooner and Domestikov or any of the other RFAs that the Rangers have. Is having so many options just presents so many interesting opportunities for the team. It, it, it really will be interesting to see what happens in the lead-up to this draft. It's more exciting than I can remember the lead-up to any draft the Rangers have had in a long time, if not only because we went through so many years of not even having a first-round pick to have a discussion about. Yeah, the Zuccarello thing is actually very interesting because because it's just – it, it like you said, I agree with you. I would think Zuccarello would be in line to be the next captain, but he's also, you know, in line to be traded. Uh, Zuccarello is at the, a weird point in his career too. He, he's going to be 31. He's got one year left on his contract. There's plenty of gas left in the tank. I definitely think he can help a team make that run towards the Stanley Cup. I, I also think he could potentially help the Rangers in their attempt to get back into the playoffs and back towards the Stanley cup, even if he's, you know, 32 or 33, but he's put up big enough numbers that that next contract is going to be a little hairy. Um, you, you never really want to bet on a guy deep into his thirties. What are the Rangers going to do about that? Uh, is it worth keeping him around because you want to have a guy like him in the room for the kids? There's so many questions there. Um, where I think this, this does kind of come to a head, you're not going to trade Zuccarello into the top 10 of this year's draft because he's not going to – Buffalo, Ottawa, the Coyotes, maybe Montreal, I guess, um, Vancouver, Detroit, Ottawa – excuse me, the Oilers, the Islanders, Chicago – those are the teams that are in front of the Rangers right now. I don't think any of those teams think of themselves as close enough that one year of Zuccarello is going to make a difference where I do think you could probably get away with making a Zuccarello deal would be, you know, the, the Dallas stars of the world, the, the flyers of the world, the Panthers of the world, those types of teams that, you know, maybe are on the, the cusp or might, right. Might, oh God, if you went to the flyers, that would be awful. Um, might just miss out this year. Maybe you're talking about Minnesota or San Jose, teams that don't do well in the playoffs that need a little bit of firepower. I think you could see a move like that. And if, say, Gordon, say, let's just throw a team out there. Let's say that Anaheim or L.A., 20th and 21st right now in the draft, they go out in early in the playoffs. 
they decide they need a little bit more firepower and Gordon puts a move out there and he gets, you know, the 20th, the 21st pick. Maybe he gets a pick in the high teens, 19, 18, whatever it is. And then he wants to move on from a couple of his other picks to try to move up. I definitely think that makes sense. Um, I have this nagging feeling that the Rangers want to get a second first round pick in 2019, which is supposed to be another very deep draft. So maybe Zuccarello gets moved for that type of a future. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly what the plan is, but I do think that Zuccarello hinges a lot of the Rangers ideas moving forward, because if Zuccarello can get you a first round pick this year and it's in the mid to late teens, well, that kind of changes the way that the Rangers probably look at their first round draft picks from Boston and Tampa. Do you trade out of the first round this year for a first round pick next year? Do you move back? Maybe you trade 25 for 30 and, you know, 56 or whatever it is. Um, I am a firm believer in once you get out of these predetermined lines of like top five, top 10, you're, it's pretty much a crapshoot. I mean, moving from the second round to the third round is obviously a, a difference maker in the third round to the fourth round, and, and so be it. But outside of the top 10, the percentages of getting an impact player are remarkably low. So I do think the more cracks you have at it, the better. But I, I just don't know what the deal is with Zuccarello. I don't see him with much of a future in New York, and, and that's not a shot at him. It's just where the Rangers are right now. I mean, they don't need Zuccarello, as, as weird as that is to say. He doesn't help anything next year unless you're talking about mentoring the kids, which is important. You need to have a guy like Zuccarello in the room. I just, I think if you're a rebuilding team, you need to at least look at the reality of getting what you can out of Zuccarello. But again, what happens then? What other moves get made? What other decisions do the Rangers make because of Zuccarello? Um, I think the Rangers should shout me VC at the deadline or at the draft. Uh, I've said that quite a bit. I I definitely think there are moves the Rangers can make. There are some contracts out there that are going to be very scary. I think Nemestikov is anything over $3.5 million I have an issue with. Jimmy Vc, really anything above $2 million I have an issue with. Um, Spooner, I I think, needs to be treated a little bit differently. Uh, But again, anything really over four, four and a half million million, $4.5 million, and even then, do you want to give that much to a guy who's going to be approaching 30 as the Rangers get near the playoffs. Uh, with Hayes, or with Heedle, Hayes, and Anderson in the wings or already on the team, there's just a lot there that, that you need to go through. And I'm curious of what your thoughts are on the Rangers' future center situation. Boy, they, it, I, there's a ton of options. I, again, this, it, this is the fascinating thing to me is that for the first time, there's actually, there's actually options there. I think I agree with you on the general price points that you laid out for those guys. You have to be judicious in terms of what kind of contracts you're going to assign these guys to, and that's going to affect your decision-making. You know, I, I think I can obviously budge on some of those guys maybe a little bit more than others. Like, I, I agree with you. I, anything over $2 million for Jimmy VC. Jimmy VC is a, a nice hockey player, but he's just um, – we don't need to get into the ridiculous VC or Buchnevich conversation or anything like that. But he's a nice Very hockey player. He's a great complimentary player. It, it's, he's a nice complimentary player on a team that is going to make a Stanley Cup run. You know, he's going to get – he can provide you that secondary scoring that you need to win a Stanley Cup. That's great. That's just not what the Rangers need right now. And he's not that valuable that you should shell out big bucks to keep him around. Um, I mean, I don't know who they keep. I've always been of the mind that Kevin Hayes is, is one of the guys who's certainly staying. I would be really surprised if Kevin Hayes goes. Um, if you're giving me the choice between, you know, Spooner and Nemestikov, uh, I'd probably go with Nemestikov. Um, I think you can probably get pretty good return, return for Ryan Spooner. And then with the kids, I mean, you've got to, I think, like you said, you've got to be able to give both Anderson and Heedle time at center because that's where you want to develop them, um, you know, if, if that is indeed going to be their position. It's so hard to find good centers in the National Hockey League. So if you have the opportunity to develop those guys in that position, I think you have to try to. But all of this uh, – all of this is affected by 
the 800-pound gorilla in the room that we've alluded to but not discussed yet, which is who is coaching this team next year, who is going to make the deployment decisions, and what is that going to mean for this team uh, next year and in the years to come? Uh, I have my own opinions on what the, you know, AV is still here. He's still coaching. I think you're right. He's still putting out a lineup that in his, let's just be honest, deluded mind gives him the best chance to win, even though objectively I think that's absurd. Uh, is he going to be back? Um, I think there's an explanation for why they haven't let him go yet. But, uh, Joe, tell me at this point with now two games left to go in the season and uh, Black Monday coming up uh, in a few days, is AV back? I love the term Black Monday. It's a big football term. I think it's it's just so fitting. Uh, I'm going to tell you no simply because if I tell you I think he will be back, I'm probably going to have an aneurysm and die. Um, I just don't know how Vigneault could possibly survive this year. I don't know how Vigneault has survived to this point at all. I, I would I would have assumed that Pittsburgh two years ago – actually three years ago now, when they blew the Rangers out in the first round, really would have been the beginning of the end for Vigneault. In reality, it just kind of bought him another year or two. I don't know how. I mean, last year's playoff disaster was, in my opinion, squarely on the coach. And we have not seen the Rangers look all that much different from then to now. So, yeah, it is a little surprising that we've we've even been in this position at all that that Vigneault is a still here and b there's really no word on his future now when the rangers agreed to trade off all their players and start this sell off jeff gordon gave sort of that that dreaded just vote of confidence in that hey we don't really know what's going to go on with Vigneault. we're going to evaluate it at the end of the year and that certainly sounds like a death sentence because you can't just say hey yeah Vigneault, he's gone at the end of the year and expect Vigneault to continue to coach um, professionally, you need to at least put on the the mask of professionalism. But uh, I would I would think logically, there's no way Vigneault comes back. I would have to assume that the Rangers brass is smart enough to realize that the team has a youth development problem. That Vigneault is very good at getting the best out of defense first players, but not so good at getting things out of the Buchnevichs of the world, and and you know even the Kevin Hayes's of the world. We're seeing Kevin Hayes do unbelievable things this year. He has 25 goals this year in a defense-first two-way center role. Uh, we've seen the issues with Buchnevich, I think, are totally unforgivable. Um, we've seen lineup just deployment that's been deplorable. We're looking at Miller succeed, granted playing with Kucherov and Stamkos in, in Tampa, but given opportunities that he was never given in New York um, before the injuries happened on defense, there were questions about the way the Rangers handled D'Angelo and before D'Angelo McElrath and before McElrath, Keith Yandel, and, you know, just on and on and on and on and on. So I don't think he can survive this. I think the Rangers need to know that if they're rebuilding, obviously you're not going to rebuild the Brown Vigneault. The decisions that were made leading up to this point really do fall on the coach in my opinion and um i i'll certainly make the argument that Vigneault isn't a terrible coach but i don't think Vigneault is even a good coach at this point and it is what it is i mean you, you can make whatever argument you want but it, it, there's just so much to not like about what he's done and i i think one of the other things that i, I have a serious issue with is the fact that the Rangers have regressed every year under Vigneault and really kind of plateaued at this, this valley of misery this year, last year, and the year before. And I know the Rangers came a couple of games away from going to the conference finals last year, but I think it speaks volumes that they couldn't get past Ottawa with, with the way that they were playing and the decisions that were made. So if you go back and you read about why Vigneault was fired, it's the same exact things as why we're thinking that right now. So there's really no, evolution to his coaching there's no evolution to what he thinks of himself there's no mindset altering changes this is just who he is and it's who he's always going to be and the rangers need to get a new a new voice in there and and we can definitely discuss those types of prospects after this happens because i don't want to jinx the fact that um Mignot may not be gone but i just don't see how you rebuild with a guy like him 
behind the bench because you've seen what you have out of him already. Um, I'm assuming you're agreeing with me on that one. Well, you left two important damning words out of the parade of horribles that you listed there, Cody McLeod. Um, and nothing against Cody personally, well, same thing as Tanner Glass, but the decision to continue to roll out Cody McLeod when you have an opportunity, when you know you're not making the playoffs at the end of the season, to get people like, you know, Letary or Booney Evis in the lineup and see what you've got for these kids is just a dereliction of responsibility on video's part that I agree with you added to everything else is unforgivable. I'm going to agree with you that he's not back next year. And that is in part because I subscribe to something called the, uh, the Buckley rule of prognostication, which is I only predict the things that I wish to have occur. Um, and I wish Vigneault to not be back. Ergo, I predict he will be gone. Um, I, I wondered given the announcement that they were going to move in a different direction, that they're definitely going to get younger, that I think Jeff Gordon has to be absolutely clueless if he doesn't know that Elaine Vigneault is not the kind of guy that you want for a rebuild, given the track record that he has, and especially all you have to do is Google um, the articles written about him in Vancouver when he was fired there to know that the same things that did him in Vancouver are the same things that are doing him in, in New York. So you know that you've got, um, you, you've got this, uh, you know what you've got in Vigneault. I think the possibility that they haven't, why they haven't let him go yet is I think they're going to make a big clean out on the coaching staff. This is not going to, it was not going to be a situation where you had someone like uh, Mike Sullivan, um, Um, sorry, uh, someone like Mike Sullivan, who, you know, was uh, brought in immediately after the Penguins got rid of their coach at the time, Johnson. Uh, you had someone to fill the gap immediately. They're going to make a completely different directional move, as they should. So wait till the end of the season. You clean out the entire coaching staff, and you look at your options, and you go from there. It's, maybe that is some kind of uh, you know, self-rationalization for I want Vigneault gone, and I don't want to consider possibilities where he's back. But to me, at least, that makes sense as a logical reason for keeping him around up to this point. Um, so I, I have to think he's gone. You just cannot go into a rebuild situation with a coach who has a reputation for being a coach for veteran players and not a good coach for young players when they're going to have so much young talent on the team next year. Yeah, that, and that's really the the key factor. And, and I don't think – I should have talked about McLeod, I, I, but you're absolutely correct. Once the Rangers agreed – that they were not going for it this year. This is the end. We're not going for it. We know we're not going to make the playoffs. We're selling off that nobody in the brass said, hey, um, why aren't we calling? Because Hartford's not even really close to a playoff berth either. So, uh, and before Hedl and Anderson got here, the Rangers could have very easily plucked Leterri or Nieves up and brought them and put them in a situation. It probably would have helped with their, their tanking as it is anyway. And they didn't. I mean, just allowing McLeod in the lineup, putting Buchnevich with him too. There's just so much. It's it really is just unbelievable that it even got to that point that the Rangers a thought it was okay and, and b that nobody did anything about it. And granted, McLeod is not playing tonight and, and probably won't play another game in the NHL. I think he said he was contemplating retirement. But there's uh, you just don't need a player like that in the lineup, and you especially don't need a player like that in the lineup when you're waiting to see what you have in the kids that you have right now. Um, I, I just, I, I don't understand the thought process there. And if that's going to be the guy that comes back behind the bench, that's a problem because you, you, you don't need him. I, I don't know. I just don't know how you, you could sit there and say, Oh, we need this guy back again. It's just not, it's not the way that this works. And so much of this discussion, discussions that we've had in the past and just things that we've discussed and, and put on the website and spoken about and all this stuff comes down to that question. Who's going to be behind the bench next year? I have a short list of people that I think would be really good for the job, one of which is my boy, Ram Pecknold, who coaches at um, my alma mater of Quinnipiac University. 
Um, Sheldon Keefe, who is the current head coach of the Toronto Marlies, is a guy that I've also sort of pegged, and he's more of a, a, an easy fit in terms of the Maple Leafs rebuilt. It was his job to get these guys ready for the NHL level and develop the kids, and he did an unbelievable job of that. Most of the successful players on the Maple Leafs who are not Matthews went through Keefe and, and the Marlies. You want a guy like that on the team. You want a guy like that who's, A, versed in this type of, of environment and, B, somebody who's a little bit more analytically driven. And right now I trust the Maple Leafs over most teams in that regard. So if they think he's good enough to coach their minor league team, he's good enough to coach my NHL team. And I just think there are better options out there than what you're going to get out of Vigneault. It's not all that difficult to be a very good coach in the NHL. We were talking about this the other day. Um, It was sort of a Twitter discussion, but there's a reason why lineups are so criticized in the NHL. And I wish um, somebody brought this up and I wish I knew who it was so I can give them credit. I'm going to try to find it while I'm speaking, but um, because it's really the only outside of setting up matchups on the ice and, you know, there's no set plays for the most part. You're not really doing all that much except for setting up lineup choices. It's YOLO underscore Pinato. I think he writes for Blue Seat Blogs, actually. Um, just you don't do all that much. You don't do all that much. And Vigneault has found a way to make it a, a, an issue. So I, I just there's definitely reasons to assume he's not going to be back next year. Um, there's definitely reasons to assume that the Rangers are in the market for a new coach. I totally understand why they wouldn't just come out and do it. You're absolutely correct. It makes it very difficult just to move in and say, Hey, we're going to totally clean house because the Rangers don't really have anyone in the wings either to take over because they just overhauled the AHL coaching staff in Hartford. So it's not even like there was a Mike Sullivan ready to step up anyway. Um, but yeah, the Rangers, there's, there's a lot riding on this decision. And I think it would be a decision that would get made almost immediately. I would assume it would be at least. Um, it, it, it happened with Tortorella ahead. when they decided to move on from Tortorella. They were out of the playoffs, and within two days, I think it was, they had announced that Tortorella was not coming back. So I would agree. I think um, if Monday goes by... And Elaine Vigneault is not, is not announced that Vigneault has been relieved of his coaching duties. Um, I'm going to get super nervous, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. And, and I, don't, I just don't know what the – I just don't know what the benefit could be. I don't, I don't know how the Rangers could walk away from that and think to themselves, hey, we're making a really good decision. I am totally 100% positive that – the Rangers would absolutely fire Vigneault and he would get hired from some, by somebody else immediately. I, I can't imagine that that would not be the case. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, Patrick Waugh was getting Jack Adams votes. Uh, we're, we're talking about a guy who's not even anywhere near the coaching landscape, especially not what he was. So I, I just, I don't know what they think the benefit would be. And I, Joel Quintonville is not being fired in Chicago. That was probably a name that a lot of people thought was going to kind of come up. And I certainly would have been very interested to see him behind the bench for the Rangers. But maybe this is just me thinking this way because I have to because he's no longer available. I'm not sure getting a new voice in there, not an old boys club in the NHL, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And a guy like Sheldon Keefe, I think, would be a perfect example of that. The guys in the NCAA ranks, again, my boy Ram Pecknold, I think is a perfect example of just moving in a direction away from the norms that you've done to this point because they're very clearly not working, right? Like the things that the Rangers have tried, Scott O'Neill, Elaine Mignot, Lindy Ruff, John Tortorella, even Tom Rennie, as much as those guys are different in a sense, they were all the same thing. Never really gave all that many opportunities to kids who had offensive instincts. Um, sort of demanded these weird, uh, just subjective wheels of justice accountability. Had issues producing offense. Never really, I mean, the good news is the Rangers really moved towards European players again post-Tortorella. And, and I don't know if it's fair to even put it that way because who knows if Tortorella had a say in that or not but the Rangers are certainly more European inclined from Rennie to Tortorella and back to the 
more of a, of a European flavor than there was with with Tortorella. But who knows if Tortorella had a part in that? But there's just you got to move in a new direction, and I don't think there's enough of that from the Rangers. I don't think there's enough of that from the brass. But I definitely think it's something that the Rangers need to do moving forward because what you've tried is not working. Um, and what are your thoughts on that as we, we come to towards the end of the show? Yeah, I think we, I think we close it off here with this. I think um, of, we, we've talked about how do we evaluate Jeff Gordon's tenure so far with the Rangers. And there are plenty of things to testify on both the positive and negative side of his tenure so far. Obviously, the step on trade was a debacle. Um, however, you know, the moves at the deadline, you know, look pretty darn good. Um, I, I think some of the contract signings that he has been involved with have been, you know, have been pretty good. Obviously, Shattenkirk was willing to give a hometown discount, but, you know, you still need a general manager who is astute enough to land that one and not screw it up. So bravo to Jeff Gordon on that front. Um, I think the biggest telling thing that is going to happen is, and again, let's assume, assume that Vigneault is gone. Biggest tell on Gordon for me is going to be, is he going to go in a new direction um, or is he going to go back to that old business network and going in with, you know, a somebody who has not been through the coaching ranks before, um, who is not another recycled name. And, you know, I've no, I have no idea if Daryl Sutter is someone who would be considered or, but he's, I just think, He's the avatar of that kind of decision. You go with someone who's coached before, who's been there. Um, that is not the direction that I think they should be going in. I think we'll learn a lot about Jeff Gordon and his willingness to say for, you know, a, an original six franchise that has really kind of done, has been a very conservative team for a long time to say, all right, we're going to do something totally different. Um, we're going to go for, you know, one of these guys who is more attuned to young players, who is more attuned to the analytic world, who is not just another, you know, Daryl Sutter played hockey for a long time and he's, you know, coached teams that have been successful at different points in his career. So we're going to go with somebody like that. I think we learn a whole lot from the decision that's made on who is the next coach about Jeff Gordon. And um, we probably at that point, I think, can have a serious discussion about uh, if Jeff Gordon is the right GM for this team. Yeah, I, I, I that's a, We've really learned a lot about Gordon. I think there were definitely reasons to be concerned. Now we're seeing that Gordon maybe does have the right of it. Uh, but again, I feel like every every crossroad that the Rangers come to is always like this defining moment. The McDonough trade was this defining moment. He's traded now, and there's another defining moment right behind it. I, I don't think that's going to end. So, um yeah, definitely. It's amazing that you and I were able to fill an hour's worth of a podcast with so much to talk about, and yet we have no actual idea what's going to come of any of this because we don't know who the coach is going to be next year. And it's it's just, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, Patreon.com slash blue shirt banter you can come be a patron like our good friend eric Cohn, who's on the show right now um so you should do that because you love us and you want us to keep doing the podcast because you love us uh you should also go to itunes and subscribe and give us five stars and give us a nice little rating and comment um you can do so on stitcher as well where we are i think one of the top 100 fastest growing podcasts right now which is awesome um, thank you all for the support. Anthony Viola, John J. Porter, John Reppy, Johnny Alo, who we answered his question about John Tavares. Um, Alex Gardner, our good friend and current guest, Eric Cohn. Um, Alexander Ricard, Daniel DeJan, Matt Bader, 50, Guy from Montana, Stink Fleeman, Dan Lynch, Mike Offit, Trevor Kempner, Gabriel Vargas, Dan Carosi, David L. Singer, Arch Williams, Bob Kawa, Scott Potash, Darwin Bushman, James Dangles, it's a great hockey name. Danny Santiago, that's also a great name. Grumpy, Smokey, Igor Zatlovsky, Thomas Osa, Chris B., and Michael Silvers. Thank you all for donating. You can also hear your name read if you donate to Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Blue Panther. Um, Eric was a super late addition to the show tonight. Tom had uh, an emergency that he had to take care of. He could not come on here. And, and like I said, uh, Mike is dying from like 14 different diseases, and Eric jumped in. Eric, it was an absolute pleasure having you on 
You were awesome. Uh, anytime you want to come on, my friend, you are more than welcome to. We'll just boot Mike out because screw that guy. He's not even here to defend himself. Any uh, any final words for the podcast, folks? Uh, don't think so. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Uh, well, thank you all for listening. Uh, like I said, just a little bit of housekeeping. This is actually probably the last live show we're going to do. Eric, you should feel super honored that you were on the finale. Uh, we are probably going to move to a recorded show that we're going to put up on Blog Talk Radio after the fact. This way we can kind of alter the audio. And, and like I said, I think 95% of our, our listens come archived anyway, so it really shouldn't impact the way that you um, – get your your podcast on and nobody's reached out to me and told me they were going to kill me for doing this so i'm going to assume that's the case so uh yeah just keep that in mind there'll probably be a formal announcement in the coming weeks and this is the last podcast of the 2017-2018 season so next week we will be able to start talking a little bit more in depth about where the rangers finished and uh where things stand so eric thank you again for joining all of you thank you again for listening patreon.com slash blue shirt banter and uh, go to tankathon.com slash NHL and just run the simulator until the Rangers get the first overall pick, which is what I've been doing for a good amount of this podcast. And um, once that happens, you can just pretend that that's what the actual draft looks like. All right. We will talk to you later. Thank you again, Eric, for joining. Beth as well. And good night. Good night.